kind of cool. Good morning. If we haven't been introduced yet, my name is Dave Werns. I, I'm the director of missions and mobilization here at Grace Fellowship Church. That's my primary role, and, and I really, really enjoy it. I've also really loved, I hope you have too, marching our way through the book of Esther this summer. It's been a blast to help explore that more thoroughly. I don't think I've ever looked at it this long before, so I hope you all will stick around for the conclusion, because as excited as I am to wrap up that story, I am very excited to push pause for a week, because today is Missions Sunday here at Grace Fellowship Church. And I hope I'm not going to disappoint anybody, but, but we're not planning to do a, a report card. We're not going to read off all the metrics of our, our missionaries. We actually don't ask them to send in how many people attended or got baptized or, or converted. That's just not part of their commission. And in fact, we're not really going to do a, a major dive into their updates this morning either. All of, our, all of our missionaries do a better than average job, in my opinion, of sending out regular, specific detailed communication on a, on a, at least a monthly, if not more often basis. And so I'm, I'm happy to fill in some of the gaps. You, you heard missions Monday is coming up. And so we do try to fill in some of the information gaps there on a quarterly basis. But I think the best use of our time this morning, rather than going through stats and figures, is really to, to take a close and careful look at the scriptures Right, together as a church and try to, try to understand more clearly how can we as a sending church be more faithful, more, more obedient to God's expectations. And so would you join me in asking God to do that for us today? We're going we're gonna to look at the scriptures, but we need his help to apply them. So let's pray. Father God, we love you. We love that, that you save the world. Like we sang this morning, you sent your son to save us. Thank you for rescuing some people from all peoples. But would you show us this morning through your word, through your Holy Spirit, how we do that with you. God, we want to be obedient. Would you help us? Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always found that if you're trying to nail down an effective how inside of a, a particular problem or situation, the best place to start is taking a step back and establishing a rock-solid why. And so before we dive into the, the how of missions, which that's an important question, right? That's, that's crucial to answer, but we need a rock-solid why behind our how. And even a step before that, I, I want to make sure that, that we're on the same page, not just in the why, not just in the how, but also what is missions. Particularly here at Grace Fellowship Church, what do we mean when we say missions? Right, I can't speak for other churches or, or organizations, but here at Grace Fellowship, when we say missions, we're talking about ministry, Individual personal ministry across barriers of geography, of language, and culture. That's what we're looking for when we say missions. And it's this kind of cross-cultural ministry right, that comes along with unique challenges. There's a, a challenge that needs to be addressed with special attention in cross-cultural ministry. It needs special resources, special efforts. There are 
Different challenges there than what we would face here, even for the same outcome. And so that's why we reserve the title of missionary for the folks that are willing to submit themselves and their families to those unique stresses and pressures. That's not a value statement, right? That's not saying that we think they're better or more holy or they get more grace points than our local ministry partners. We love our ministry partners here in our own communities. We are so excited about what God's doing in them and and through them, and we're delighted to partner financially and with volunteers and strategy. Ministries like the New Hope Crisis Pregnancy Center, which God bless them. We, We love the faithful execution of discipleship from the perspective of of caring for the unborn or or Fairhaven Rescue Mission. We love that they go to a a particular community, right, that has unique needs, unique opportunities for service, and they do it day after day after day. It is a thankless job. We also love ministries that cross barriers here, right? Folks that like young life, people that are, you know, God bless them. They're going into middle schools. Goodness. Like they're talk about crossing a barrier, going into a high school campus where you don't go to bring the hope of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's incarnational ministry. Or, or campus outreach that's doing the same thing on the University of Cincinnati campus. I mean, you talk about crossing a barrier. that They're going across the mighty Ohio River. In our church in particular, we are blessed to have five campus outreach full-time staff as members of our congregation. They, they mostly attend the Fort Thomas campus. But Isaac Kane, Austin Sprong... Logan Carpenter, Maddie Godsey, and Abigail Owsley. Friends, these are the real deal, folks. They are having a, an effective, rich harvest on the campus of University of Cincinnati. They're pouring out their lives for the sake of the gospel. In many ways, they're doing the exact same thing that most of our missionaries are doing in other cultures. They're, they're preaching the same gospel using their same Bible. They're calling lost people to the same repentance, the same baptism, the same fellowship as all of our missionaries, whether they're across Southeast Asia, right, Japan, Czech Republic, Albania. But here's the thing. As hard as it is, as difficult as it is to cross that barrier of going on to a a college campus that you're not enrolled in, to sit down next to a student that you've never met before, to start up a conversation from scratch with the hope that maybe, just maybe, this conversation will lead to a discipleship relationship. Right? That's literally what they do. That's, that's what's going to happen Monday. As hard as that is, and, and Isaac will tell you this, it is a completely different ball game when you try to execute that same game plan, but you are a foreigner in a different culture. Friends, that is a very, very different call to ministry. But it begs the question, why would we even try that? If there's so much need here, if the harvest is so ripe here, if the resources are available here, and our chances of success over there are so small in comparison, why are we even sending missionaries? Isn't that just bad stewardship? Right, a waste of resources? I would certainly agree with that statement if 
God was only concerned with having the largest number of people worshiping him for eternity and didn't care where they came from or what their background was. If that were the case, then absolutely. Yes, let's consolidate all of our efforts, all of our resources, and let's focus in on those regions and demographics that are most likely to respond to the gospel. Absolutely. Let's get, let's get the most bang for our buck, right? Or if you're of a Baptist persuasion, the most dips for your dollar. So, <laughs> But frankly, that's not the case. That is simply not the reality. God is not merely interested in hitting a quota. His aim, his, his goals are so much more elaborate than just hitting a number of worshipers. He wants a kaleidoscope of human diversity reflecting back to him the excellencies of his perfection. Friends, from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is filled with references of God's desire to rescue some people from every people's. And we don't have time to explore that very long list in its entirety, but I'll, I'll whet your appetite a little bit. If you start out in Genesis 17, I think it's in your outline. Genesis 17, God is speaking to his called one, Abram. And he says, no longer shall your name be Abram. It shall be named Abraham. For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. You can fast forward that prophecy all the way up to, to Isaiah chapter 11. Right? Isaiah is foretelling yet another day to come where he says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. And he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished Israel. He will gather the dispersed Judah from the four corners of the earth. And lastly, at the end of all things, the Apostle John writes in the book of Revelation, chapter 70, John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God and who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Friends, that is the why. That is the why behind missions. And really, it's just the same message we've been hammering over and over again all summer through Esther. That God's sovereignty doesn't just give us the courage to stand up in our own culture as a witness to his power and glory. God's divine right to limit, order, control, and know all things. That gives us the confidence to go into other cultures as well as an ambassador of his good plan for salvation. In fact, I can't really think of any other reason aside from God's sovereignty 
why anybody would go into the places that are openly, aggressively hostile to the name of Jesus. It just doesn't make sense. If we as a church were being guided by efficiencies or, or productivity reports or, or a bottom line, friends, we would never send a missionary to a place like Japan. We would never send a missionary to a place like Southeast Asia. Never mind a place like Somalia or Yemen. But we're not fooled. We know our God. We believe our Bibles. Friends, we are not fooled by ROI projections because you and I believe God's word. And so we can stand shoulder to shoulder as a church with Job in the Old Testament saying, we know you can do all things and no purpose of yours could be thwarted. And so if God says that at, when the dust settles, you and I are going to be standing, worshiping next to blood-bought brothers and sisters from North Korea, right, from Libya, from Afghanistan, friends, we know without a shadow of a doubt, it will be so. And who knows? Perhaps for such a time as this, God has raised up Grace Fellowship Church. He's given us hundreds of members, thousands of networks, millions of dollars. And the indwelling power of a Holy Spirit. Folks, we know what we have to do. And we know where we have to do it. Let's get it done. And if we all get our passports today, we could have this thing wrapped up by Christmas. <laughs> Who's with me, right? Come on. New year in the new Jerusalem, huh? What? I have no doubt some of you would actually try. I love you for it. I also have no delusions that the second I mentioned passports, a handful of you were headed for the exits. So, and, and if we're honest, right, there's, as soon as I said we're crossing the Ohio River, there's a few of you that were already gone. So it's no judgment. It's a big river. I get it. But seriously, friends, do you really think that the only thing holding back the church from accomplishing the Great Commission in today's age is a little bit of money? Some strategy? Better theology, maybe? Folks, if we've seen nothing from Esther over the past few weeks, we know, we know that God's relentless pursuit of his purposes is also accompanied by a fierce commitment to his timing. And so we, as a church, we are trying to follow that example. We are trying to mirror his commitments with our own. And so we are actively, we are fiercely refusing to adopt either a, a, a pragmatic get-her-done kind of attitude while also denying a, a scattered shotgun approach to ministry. We do believe that God has raised up Grace Fellowship Church for such a time as this. We do believe that he's given us the, the resources, the specific blend of leadership and members. And he's given them to us at this particular time and in this particular place. 
And so we believe that God would have us focus our energy less like a, a shotgun blast and more like a, a laser beam, right? Pushing the gospel of Jesus into the hard-to-reach places that remain on our planet. While at the same time, using the resources he's given us to strengthen the churches that he planted, that he started, strengthen their leadership by cultivating biblical counseling movements within strategic regions that God is already at work. And frankly, that, that's our entire missions program in a nutshell. It's just those two things. We, we push the gospel to places that haven't been touched yet, and we strengthen churches using biblical counseling training. We could probably wrap it up now. That's <laughs> but seriously, I could talk for hours about those two goals. I mean, mission strategy is my jam. And so any chance I get, I, I will spend hours thinking through 10-year, 20-year, 50-year, 100-year plans of what God might do with our church for his glory around the world. And I would love to talk to any of you at length for that. But again, I don't know if that would be the best use of our time this morning. And so we have addressed what is missions. We, we have addressed why we do missions. And so I want to use the rest of our time this morning for how. We as a church, how do we do missions? And specifically, I want to answer one question is, how can a member of Grace Fellowship Church participate in God's big picture goal of saving some people from all peoples? This is the question. It's crucial because I can almost guarantee you that the vast majority of you will not be sent as missionaries from Grace Fellowship. So we have to ask that question of what do we do from here, from northern Kentucky, from, from the Florence campus, from the Independence campus, the Fort Thomas campus. How do we join in? Because we read passages like Matthew 28, the Great Commission. We read passages like that, Revelation 7. We listen to messages from guys like John Piper and David Platt telling us, right, to be radical not waste our lives. And so if you're anything like me, you're, you're left with this pervasive sense that I ought to be doing more than I am. I'm just a little fuzzy on the details. What do you want me to do, David? <laughs> and maybe you're starting to doubt that there is a specific role, that there actually is something you can do. And so you just sit with that sense and stew or sweat. If that's you, if you've heard God's heart for the nations, and I hope you have, but you're not quite sure where you fit in specifically, friends, I have good news. I want to make it crystal clear to you that you absolutely have a vital role to play. That the missionaries we send out have a very specific job to do, but so does ascending church. God's plan is to use both to accomplish his eternal purposes. So if you would, open up to Hebrews chapter 10. If you would open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to see the first answer to that crucial question, how can a person at Grace Fellowship Church participate in missions at Grace Fellowship Church? Hebrews chapter 10. 
be in verse 23 and following. The author of Hebrews encourages us. He says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. Folks, if I had to name one, one need, the most urgent, the most critical need in the missions world today, it would not be better theology. It would not be a more urgent evangelism. It wouldn't even be the courage to sacrifice our health, our our safety, our, our freedom, although we desperately need all of those and more. The most urgent, the most acute need that I'm aware of today is encouragement. Just so we're all on the same page, right, when I say encouragement... I'm not talking about a a cheerleader pat on the back. You can do it. You got this. Hang in there. You see, the word in Hebrews 10 that's translated encouragement in verse 25, it has the same root, the same foundation as the word that Jesus uses to name the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. That's what encouragement is. Because if you think for a second, what, what is the Holy Spirit's ministry? That he would be called the encourager. Right? He is our comforter. He is our counselor. He is our helper. He intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. And perhaps the greatest role of his ministry is that he makes much of Jesus Christ for us. Because we've never seen him. But we have the indwelling Holy Spirit to remind us of Jesus, to point us to Jesus, to clarify Jesus, illuminate Jesus, to glorify Jesus for us. Yes, maybe even through us. That is the ministry of encouragement. That is what our missionaries need desperately. (laughs) Because we as a church have chosen deliberately Strategically, unapologetically, we have chosen to send our missionaries to some very discouraging places. The food might be nice. The people are great. The scenery sometimes is pristine. But make no mistake, every missionary we send is behind enemy lines. And that means they are up to their eyeballs in a hostile culture maybe even demonic. Their fellowship is scarce. Their fruitfulness is rare. But the brokenness of this world and and the effects of sin are overwhelming. Even in the developed nations like Japan or the Czech Republic, folks, these are some of the hardest places to have joy and encouragement on the planet. And so our missionaries need so much more than just a cheerleader patting them on the back saying, hang in there, buddy, you got this. They need faithful, faith-filled friends who are going to live out Hebrews 10 for them. 
They need faithful friends who will consider carefully how to stir them up for love and good deeds. They need faithful friends who will encourage them by pointing them back to Christ, by illuminating Christ, by making much of Jesus Christ for them. All the more as we see the day coming closer. And so our missionaries need a sending church who will consistently encourage, like push courage into them, literally, by making much of Jesus for them. That is how Christians in northern Kentucky can directly, actively, personally take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Because here at Grace Fellowship, we don't just send our missionaries with the gospel. We send the gospel to our missionaries. Because guess what? Missionaries need Jesus too. And so what about you? Are you ready? Are you prepared to be an encouragement to the men and women who we send? And I recognize it's going to look different. Right? For all of us, it will be a little bit different because of the variety of our experiences in life. Because there's a spectrum of spiritual maturity in every church. There's different seasons of life and availability varies. And frankly, some of us have been exercising our spiritual muscles of encouragement a little more than others. But regardless of your expertise or or lack thereof, every little bit of encouragement helps. And so I put in your outline uh, sort of a, a missionary encouragement starter kit. Uh, if you don't have one with you, it's online, or, or you can walk back and grab it. But, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page of how we encourage our missionaries. And so number one, it, it's basic. It, it means that you have to subscribe to the missionary prayer email. It goes out every Monday. It's the first thing that shows up in my inbox Monday mornings. It's, it's detailed. It's accurate. It is specific. Best of all, it's automatic. If you subscribe to that, you will eventually make your way through every single missionary that we send out. And inside that email, if you open it, 99% of those have a button where you can reply directly to our, our missionaries. You can respond to that email by encouraging our missionaries. But here's the trick. You can't just say you prayed for them. Right? That's nothing more than that pat on the back. You got it. Go get them. Hang in there, tiger. You tell them what you prayed for them. Literally type out in an email what you prayed for them or, or some truncated version of it, a paraphrase even. Bonus points if you prayed for something that was in the email. Something they actually asked you to pray about. But friends, any prayer that you can tell them is going to God on their behalf will stir them up for love and good deeds. It will push courage into them. A second way to encourage our missionaries is you, you can tell them in that same template, you can tell them how God has encouraged you through your Bible today. Note that means you actually did open your Bible and you were encouraged by God. If you have not opened your Bible or been encouraged by God today, please don't email my missionaries. But I think a lot of you have. 
I talk to you. You have been ministered to. You have read your Bible and you have been upheld by the mighty hand of God. Tell someone it's called a testimony. And hearing somebody else that has been upheld by God will uphold another Christian. Because it says God's at work. He keeps his promises. He's faithful. And he'll do it again. And friends, what we saw in Esther, all of those events that just so happened to line up in that particular way, with that particular timing, God can do that with you. That passage that you read, the devotional that you saw, the encouragement that you were given, guess what? It just so happens to be exactly what God intended to encourage the missionary with. Will you be faithful with your testimony? Third, you can tell your missionary that you are going to start supporting them financially monthly. I know it could feel a little weird telling somebody you're going to donate to their ministry, but friends, it is not about the money. Let me be clear, it is not about the money. Yes, they have bills. Yes, they all like to eat. But I'm being serious. It is not about the money. When you tell a missionary that you are investing your resources into their ministry on an ongoing basis, it sends a clear, unmistakable message that you, a Holy Spirit-filled Christian, you believe God is still going to be using them in the weeks and months to come. That's huge. That might sound obvious to you, but think about it for just a second. We are all familiar with how devastating the lies and accusations of our enemy can be to our lives. The enemy would want nothing more than to discourage, to frustrate, to to point out all of the failures, all of the setbacks, all of the unfruitfulness, the wasted time and resource. Folks, that is the definition of the life of a missionary. And so our missionaries are under siege Because he will stop at nothing. Our enemy will stop at nothing to convince our cross-cultural workers that what they're doing does not matter. That it will never work. That God doesn't plan to use them. That they misheard their Macedonian call and they should probably pack it up and come home before they waste anybody else's time and money. Our missionaries are vulnerable to this kind of accusation because we sent them on purpose to a field that is not rich in harvest. At best, we sent them with acorns to plant and hope for a tree to grow. But most of the time, we sent them with a shovel and a rake saying these rocks need to be cleared before the seeds can be planted. These stumps need to be pulled before the fields can be plowed. And that is back-breaking, soul-draining work. But when you say to a missionary, I believe God will grow fruit in that field, folks, that is like a cold glass of water on a hot sweaty, stump-pulling kind of day. And they need that encouragement. So yeah, your financial gifts keep the lights on. Great. So much more than that. 
Your monthly contribution helps push back the darkness of discouragement and despair. It reminds them God will do what God will do eventually. And lastly, we love to send folks that are skilled in encouragement for a face-to-face push of encouragement. We love to send our people to our people to stir one another up for love and good works. And that should be enough to get you started. But if you have any questions or you're still kind of confused about how to plug in, shoot me an email. Missions, it's plural, missions at graceky.org. We'll figure out what you're going to do. So the the most urgent and critical need on the mission field, it is encouragement. And and I can't even begin to imagine what God would do in and through and around our missionaries if the whole church began to practice and live out Hebrews 10 for them. If we stir them up to love and good works by encouraging and reminding them of who Jesus is for them, I can't begin to tell you what we would see. But I hope by now you recognize the most urgent task is not always the most important task. The most critical need is not always the one that ought to be touched first. And so while I do believe that we must encourage our missionaries starting today, I think sending out A missionary without sufficient encouragement, it's not just dangerous, it's unbiblical. And so we will not do it. We must encourage them because we've already sent them. But it is not our most important role. We have a more important obligation to keep, and it is shared by the missionary and the sender alike. It's not in competition with our role as an encourager because it envelops our role as an encourager. Brothers and sisters, we are called as Christians and as a church to celebrate. The unrestrained, uninhibited, unblushing celebration of God's accomplishments, it is not optional. It's not an accessory. It is not additional. It is primary. It is central. Folks, celebration is our purpose. It's what we were made for. It's what we were saved for. And I do not believe there is any more important duty for a Christian, both as an individual and as a congregation, than the regular, deliberate celebration of God's person and works. He is our God. And he's amazing. And for ascending church, that obligation to celebrate doubles. John Piper, in in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, it, it probably is the most important missions work for the church today. In that book, he he posits, says a theory that I believe is biblical, but he says missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. But do not make the mistake, friends. I believe that. But do not make the mistake of believing that all of that missing worship is going to come from men and women among the unreached and the unengaged. Friends, some of the worship that God deserves to get 
and hasn't yet received is going to come from the hearts and the voices of men and women right here. Some of that worship that our God will get is going to come from the lives of men and women who have sent and sacrificed, who have begged and pleaded, who have waited and invested for the lost to know and love Jesus. Friends, God will stop at nothing until he, des- until he receives every ounce of worship that he deserves. And some of that worship will come from you. God is doing an incredible work in, around, and through our missionaries. He's upholding his end in spectacular fashion. And so we, as Ascending Church, had better get serious about our side and celebrate like eternity depends on it. If you think I'm overselling it, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Let's see just how serious Jesus takes celebration. Luke chapter 15. We'll start in verse 3. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to Pharisees. Go figure. Telling parables. Jesus said to them, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me! I found the sheep that was lost. Just so. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And he continues, or that woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so. I tell you, there is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Folks, it was not enough that the coin and the sheep were found. It was not enough that the woman and the shepherd rejoiced. The job wasn't done until the neighbors and the friends joined in on the celebration. This is the point of the parables. That's what Jesus was trying to communicate to the Pharisees. But he really hammers it home in the third parable. So if you'd skip down to verse 22, he continues. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now this older son was in the field and he came and drew near the house and he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brothers come home and your fathers killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. 
And his father came out and entreated him. And he said to his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I never got, even never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you were always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Our God deserves to be known and loved by some people from all peoples in the entire world. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language. And he promised he would do it. And so we confidently, we obediently send our people to go participate in what will inevitably be his victory. But friends, the job is not done until the friends and the neighbors join in and celebrate too. Look down at verse 32. I love this verse. The dad says, it was fitting. The, the new King James says, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. But my favorite is the Nazbi. The father tells his older son, we had to celebrate. Because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. Friends, only God can make dead people begin to live. And when he does, he will do it. We have to celebrate and be glad. And so as we close, once again, I, I want to make sure we know exactly what this looks like here at Grace Fellowship Church. How do we, as Christians, as senders, how do we celebrate what God is doing in and through our missionaries? And again, the simplest way is to open up that email. You can't celebrate what you don't know. But I don't think it's a lack of information. It, it is a response. So you respond with gratitude. Gratitude is the best foundation for any celebration. And so we say thank you to the missionaries for their faithfulness. But we also join with them in celebrating God's faithfulness. So we say thank you to the missionary. We say thank you to God. And while gratitude is an effective foundation, I don't think we should stop there. Because the kind of celebration that Jesus is describing here in, in Luke 15, the, the kind of celebration we see in the Old Testament festivals and feasts, the kind of celebration we see at Revelation, at the end of all things, it's not so much a thank you card as a full-blown party. And so I think if we're going to be serious about cultivating a culture of celebration here at Grace I want to start with three key ingredients that I think make up the best and, and most celebratory parties that we participate in as a culture here. When you think about birthdays, you think about anniversaries, weddings, Super Bowls, even graduations, these three elements are almost always present to one degree or another. And the higher the concentration, the bigger the party we're talking about investment, anticipation, and surprise. 
Investment, anticipation, and surprise are a key element of every good party. But it means we need to invest with the intention of celebrating. It's not a set it and forget it, folks. We have to connect our investment to our intent to rejoice. We do this already. We naturally rejoice with the teams and individuals that we not just pay into, but that we think about, that we give time to, we give brain space and bandwidth to. We naturally celebrate with them when they succeed. We cheer because we're a part of the team by investing our lives in them. And investing in God's cross-cultural work, it could look like financial contributions, sure, but more often it will look like taking time and brain space and bandwidth to pray with our missionaries, to do a little bit of investigation, to understand their culture that they're trying to reach, the people that they're trying to invest in themselves, trying to understand their goals, their strategies, their challenges. Folks, that is a deliberate investment that will inevitably result in celebration when God does what only God can do. But that dovetails well with the second ingredient, anticipation. Sadly, we, we live in a culture that glorifies instant gratification. Right? We're, we're frustrated to no end by things that delay Anything that that cuts our time automatically gets under our skin. We're totally fine paying just a little extra if we can be guaranteed it'll get here faster. Two-day shipping, please. What is this, the Stone Age? I want same-day delivery. Better yet, strap that thing to a drone. I want it here in 45 minutes or I'm going somewhere else. Don't tempt me. Friends, we all know... That, that sweet anticipation, almost painful process of waiting for something that is truly good. Or you think about the timer on the cookies, or the brisket, huh? or the countdown on your screen towards a vacation, or a wedding, or a grandbaby. Folks, we know the joy that comes from waiting, the the expectation of a joyous event. It is a fundamental piece of that event. We don't celebrate hard enough because we didn't wait anxiously enough. But that brings us to the final element of surprise. Because there's something fun about seeing an event come to fruition about unwrapping your Christmas present, even if you're the one that bought it. And one of the most significant obstacles that we have to address if we are going to cultivate celebration in our church is our resistance to the childlike wonder of watching God do what only God can do. The miraculous, the divine Friends, we have to be impressed by God. Not for his sake, but for ours. We won't celebrate appropriately unless we worship him accurately. He's amazing. And I'm, I'm convinced that prayer, prayer is the key here because it aligns our hearts to love what he loves the way he loves it. It forces us to invest 
to anticipate, but we have no idea how he's going to do it, and it's a surprise every time. So we get to choose to invest, but we also choose to not resist the wonder of seeing him accomplish his handiwork. So as a church today, we are working towards that. That's why we have the Missions Mondays, quarterly meetings, right, where we can invest, we can anticipate, we can be surprised by God's miraculous work. But friends, we don't have to wait for a Monday every quarter to start practicing our celebrations. You can do that right now. You can invest financially. You can do some investigation on what those cultures are and how they are ministering to them. We can start thanking God and celebrating what he does. So I want to leave you with a picture I think really captures this relationship between the missionary, the sending church, and our God. I think most of us have probably been to a a wedding reception at least once, or at least seen one on TV, and you know the process where the best man gives a toast. The best man who's supposed to be the the best friend or the closest confidant of the happy couple, but he doesn't talk to them. Who does the best man address his speech to? It's the audience. It's the people who know the couple, right? Obviously, or else they wouldn't be at the wedding. They know them, but they didn't have his vantage point. So often, if he's any good, he'll, he'll regale the crowd with some evidences of their undying love and, and anticipation of their blissful life together. But most importantly, he will give a clue to their lives, and he will, he'll tell you some unknown story before uh, the entire crowd and, and let you in on a, some misadventure from their school days. Or maybe he'll tell an, an, old, an oldie but a goodie, right? Something everybody's aware of, but, but he got to see it from a different vantage point. He had a backstage pass to look at their lives, and so he shares. And friends, we don't just raise our glasses because we like the couple. We toast the couple because we get to celebrate them in a fresh way because of the testimony of the best man. Our missionaries have that vantage point, friends. We are the audience that gets to stand and cheer, and the guest of honor is our Savior, Jesus. So let's celebrate now. We don't have to wait until the end of all things to celebrate the inevitable victory where some people from all peoples worship him. We get to do it today. So let's join together in celebration of who God is and what he's done. Father God, would you change our hearts today to love what you love the way you love it, including, maybe especially, the people who have not heard your name yet, but will shortly. Thank you, God. Amen.